What is the number one thing you should be doing when engaging with your prospects? Today's guest is going to tell us just that. Okay, here's the question. How are we dark horses? You know, the ones everyone is betting against, the ones they don't expect to win, place, or even show on the track, and they'll even laugh on us when we talk about trying. How do we show the world our greatness and triumph? Well, that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. This is The Dark Horse Entrepreneur. My name is Tracy Brinkman. Welcome back to your weekly dose of sales and marketing book learning. I'm your Dark Horse host, Tracy Brinkman, and you, infinitely more importantly, are a driven entrepreneur and a business owner or hoping to be one very soon. But either way, you're ready to start, restart, kickstart, or just start leveling up with some great marketing, personal, and business results to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. Now, to keep getting this valuable information, please go on down and hit the subscribe button. And while you're down there, drop us a five-star rating and a quick review. And of course, don't keep all this entrepreneurial gold to yourself. Share the podcast with other entrepreneurs and business owners. Big episode today. Today, Ken Jarnig shares his story of coming up to the ranks of sales and marketing to eventually write three books on these topics. Plus, I'm going to let you in on next week's episode, or our, our next episode's guest, who only works with people that she wants to work with. More on that later. So, as per usual, the Dark Horse Corrals are chock full of personal marketing and business G-O-L-D, spilling from every corner of the Dark Horse Entrepreneur HQ. So, let's get to the starting gates and go. All right, my fellow Dark Horses, today we have the man, the myth, the three-time author, Kent Jarnick. And you know what? I didn't even ask him. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, Kent was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where his father was a uh, plumbing and heating contractor, and he started his career, when I say he, I mean Kent in this case, started his career at a very, very early age, wait for it, eight years old, sweeping out the shop of his father's, uh, f- uh, of his father's uh, he- heating and uh, co- Con, uh, plumbing and heating contract office on Saturdays. And then after graduating high school, Kent put himself through college at the University of Minnesota, where he earned his degree, degree in advertising. And as for many folks, uh, my father included, was drafted into the Vietnam War and served as a combat medic and being promoted twice during his 12-month deployment. Um, after his discharge, he took a job as a salesman. And, uh, and I probably listened to a lot of these tapes too, uh, Kent. I know Kent says he listened to a, a myriad of audio tapes and read books, anything he could find on sales, uh, applying what he learned, uh, which helped him do well. And he was rapidly promoted into management, first as a regional manager, and then as the national sales and marketing manager for two mid-sized manufacturers. Um, after corporate life, Kent goes on to build two of his own companies as manufacturer's representatives and then as a broker for the manufacture of CDs and DVDs. I actually had to slow down and say that so my tongue didn't trip up. Uh, <laughs> Ken actually built a lot of this up from ground zero to over a million dollars a year, literally, as we all want to do, sitting in his home, answering the phone, and Google AdWords, he says, was kind of the secret of his success here. Uh, Kent now works as the chair for the Social Welfare Veterans Organization that he founded uh, back in December of 2018, 
Currently, the membership was about 800 at the time we are recording this. Uh, with the pandemic hopefully ending soon, he's thinking it's going to be ending 2020 at about 2,000 members. Wow. Ken has been active, active. You're feeling tired, I know, just as I'm going through this bio, right, Ken? Uh, and on top of that, he's the author of three books, The Sales, Battle, the Sales Marketing Battle, Amazing Salesmen, They're Made, Not Born, and then the one he's gotten just about ready to go. It's supposed to be published in the next week or so. Probably, uh, probably be out right about the time this, this episode airs, The Magic of Marketing. Let's give a warm, dark horse welcome to Kent Jarnick. Kent, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tracy. I really appreciate it. Uh, what, what you're doing for entrepreneurs is awesome. Uh, as I have been a good part of my life, and my wife also. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. Amen. I hear you there. And, and with that, and maybe you can allude into that a little bit. I, I really, like I mentioned earlier, just want to step back from the microphone and let you tell your story about, you know, where you came from and how you got to where you are, you know, your entrepreneurial adventures, and then, uh, you know, why you love doing what you do so much. And you know, obviously, you know, speak to those books as well. Well, um, if we go back where I started, uh, I was not the person that you would expect to be a good salesperson. Uh, I chose that because I wanted to get into management and, and to be promoted, you have to prove that you have deserved that promotion, that uh, you are ready for the position they have open and sales offers that. Uh, salespeople succeed because they make that extra effort. Uh, so that is why I made that choice. Uh, being in sales was kind of weird because I was an introvert uh, and still am, and I had to overcome that. But as any entrepreneur knows, uh, you have to overcome a thousand different things before you succeed. Um, Failure is part of being an entrepreneur. No matter how many different businesses you try or how many different ideas that you put forward in making your business successful, not all of them are going to work. And I was fortunate enough in my business corporate life to learn and test different ideas so I could zero in and identify what was going to be best for any entrepreneurial idea that I had. And I was fortunate enough to have a wife uh, who both supported that, because you start an entrepreneurial idea, you don't make any money. And she also, uh, she was a high school teacher and went into corporate child care and then owned two large childcare centers. So she took that leap of faith also, which is cool because then we both could understand we have different strengths. So that kind of is my background. Uh, when I chose to write books, it was, uh, I have to admit, heavily driven on the fact that I was sitting in my office in a pandemic and had a whole lot of time. All the things that I'd planned on doing for our nonprofit veterans group, we couldn't do. We couldn't have events. We couldn't get together. And I thought, you know, I've, I've had an interesting life. I've had a lot of success. Uh, I 
thought that it, uh, I could write three separate books, uh, one on how sales and marketing needs to work together, and that does not always happen, and I talk about ways to make that occur. Uh, then my second book was strictly on sales, the things that I learned, uh, uh, things like price is virtually never the reason anybody, consumer business, makes a choice. Uh, and I explain that in great detail. And my third book is on marketing. I go into detail there on the types of marketing, the different ways that an entrepreneur can promote themselves, uh, whether it's a small local business or they want to go national. Uh, there are different ways for achieving those goals. Even if it's a local small business, you can sell nationally uh, and do it within a reasonable budget. So that kind of covers my experience and what my books are about. What other questions do you have, Tracy? I think uh, I think the first one that kind of uh, stuck out to me was uh, um, I, I and I haven't finished it yet the sales and marketing battle I think one of the things that um, rung in my head when I was getting ready to uh, to chat with you today was the 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 um, description of sales versus marketing early on in in, in that particular book. Um, I don't want to go into it. I actually would like you to kind of share your 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 perspective of what sales versus marketing, you know, to kind of give folks that, that, uh, that perspective. Um, absolutely. When, if you work for a large company, uh, the marketing manager and the sales manager often are two different people. And when that occurs, the president or CEO sets up a, uh, negative uh, conflict where marketing is fighting for a bigger budget, sales is fighting for a bigger budget, and marketing is out there. One of their jobs is to bring leads in. And if sales is not part of that conversation, the sales manager just blows them off. And field salespeople often look at leads as a waste of time. So they'll say, oh, that uh, all the leads are bad, they've already bought, whatever. The sales manager then says it is marketing's fault that the leads are bad. And my preference and what I did in my corporate life is I handled both of those. And what I would suggest there is when you're doing both, you obviously have uh, 100% of control how the budgets are allocated. And if marketing needs more money, then you go, okay, I got to pull that out of sales. But if the president says, okay, we're going into the Canadian market, uh, that requires marketing to research it. Sales has to hire people. Uh, it has to be a coordinated effort. And sometimes um, a president of a corporation does not fully think through exactly what the request means. If they all of a sudden say, hey, we really ought to have someone in Des Moines, 
well, you got to find someone, you got to hire them, you got to train them. Uh, you know, there's a lot of time and effort involved there. Now, maybe worth it. Uh, maybe a key market that no one had ever thought of. But that is part of marketing's job to understand that they need to do market research. They need to understand who their current customer is. They need to understand who their prospect is. They need to understand where they are, what type of uh, person or business are they, and then try to expand on that. Try to understand uh, what is the best way to create that. Well, sales is out there implementing that in the field. And the best field salesperson should also be talking to the marketing manager because the marketing manager is out there running ads, they're uh, creating collateral material. Um, they are getting hopefully feedback from the sales manager, but it's the best salesperson that says, oh, that uh, brochure on the new product, it's crap. I never use it. Marketing needs to know that. They need to know why. Uh, if a particular advertising effort is producing mediocre leads, not nearly as good as the other efforts, what marketing needs to know is why. They know that it's not working. They're, they're getting the data points. But they need to know why didn't it work? Why is this new product not clicking? Um, did we not have enough features or benefit? Is competition outperforming us? Uh, did we price it incorrectly? Because if you have a new product with fewer features and benefits and you price it at double everyone else, then price actually is a part of that equation. So it's, a, it's an opportunity to look how both of these uh, key managers or key um, positions are important to the business. And if you're a small business, if you're entrepreneurial, you have to do the same things. You can do market research spending hardly any money at all. If you have a gift shop, you can uh, put a business reply card with demographic information in every sale bag. Uh, if you're a small manufacturer, uh, you can reach out through email. Uh, you can use MailChimp and they do surveys and it's all free. You don't have to be spending a million dollars on this. You just have to make sure that the questions you are asking are the correct ones. In other words, um, if you make them too narrow, uh, how big is your business? Is it a million, five million, 10 million? Or what if it's half a million? What if it's 50 million? Uh, if it's a consumer, you need to ask them where they live and you need to ask them what they like in your store. What is important? That's the kind of thing that you need to find out. And you need to find out if your perception of your customer, whether it's geographic or demographic, if the perception is actually who they really are. 
Is your biggest customer an outlier? In other words, someone you can't build on to their demographics. All this information can be found out inexpensively or expensively, depending on how big your business is. No, those are some great uh, insights in there. I mean, I really like the uh, the last two that you kind of zeroed in on was, uh, are you asking the right questions? And I think so many times that uh, we get in our bubble, you know, or we have our, our, our blinders on, right? And you're like, hey, I'm marching forth. And for me, and, and I'll speak to a number of folks that, you know, I, I've worked with and or worked for, um, when things are going great, the blinders really go on to say, okay, I'm making, we're hitting our goals. We're exceeding our goals. We're killing it, ladies and gentlemen. Keep doing what's working, right? Because that's just, that's usually the mindset. Oh my God, we finally got the right mix. You know, all the gears and buttons and switches are in the right position and we're firing on all eight cylinders. Keep, don't change anything. You're now listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. Where at the same time, you know, are you asking the right questions? Um, I remember, uh, I'll do a quick story here. And back in my uh, legendary Whitetails day, we started seeing one of our products take off. And we're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Don't change anything. And it was like, uh, there was a couple of us in there. And one of the gentlemen I interviewed, we, we were asking the question, well, who's buying it? Because we knew who our customer was in this particular organization. They were niched down to deer hunters in, you know, in the Midwest, which is a very small, very tight knit group of folks. And all of a sudden things started blowing up and it's like, well, why are, who's, who's buying it? And uh, as we turned around and finally did ask the question, it was not the deer hunters. It was um, out, outdoor enthusiasts. So we had actually cracked into um, a, an outer layer of the same market. So we had folks that, you know, they may not have been hunters, but they enjoyed the outdoors and the, the apparel that was being sold reflected that, you know, with, you know, uh, camouflage imagery and outdoor scenes with, you know, with, uh, you know, fog in the background. So it was that, Ooh, I can really, you know, we were connecting with a different group of folks. So now uh, they were able to take that marketing in another direction and focus in over there where, where they were buying and drive that message while still staying uh, true to their core niche, which was those those deer hunters. So if they hadn't asked that question, they'd be like, oh yeah, let's make four more versions of that product and sell it to the guys. And it might not have worked, right? So asking those right questions is definitely a very important. And that re- leads right into, you know, is your perception of your customer your reality. So in that same example, right, we had this perception, we knew who our customer was and had been their customer for a number of years. And if they'd have stuck with that, they probably wouldn't have been able to grow in that direction that they did uh, at the pace that they had seen. So those are some great examples. Um, One thing I want to dig back around to, and you alluded to is that price is not the reason the consumer buys. And I think so many entrepreneurs, uh, new or, or experienced, might trip on this one. You, know, you want to share a little insights here? Yeah, it's one of the things I learned early on when I was selling is to ask a lot of questions. If, if somebody has given you an appointment, and it doesn't matter if it's somebody coming in to pay your house or it's a corporate buyer that uh, 
uh, has given you half an hour to talk, they have you there because they have a need. They wouldn't be wasting their own time unless they were interested in what product or service you're selling. When I would go in and talk to someone, what you need to do is ask questions. A good salesperson listens 90% of the time and talks 10. Uh, it's a tough thing to learn, particularly if you ask a question and the person who is going to make the decision doesn't speak right away. And the common response from nervousness is you jump in and you literally end up changing the question when the buyer was thinking, yeah, you know, how am I to answer that? What's important here? So when you look at it from that standpoint and you ask the right questions, most of the time, particularly if somebody says no, they say, oh, your price is too high. The salesperson believes it. They tell their boss and everybody writes it off as, yeah, our price was too high. But that is not the reason. The reason is when you identify, you're going to find out what it is. You say, oh, if I can meet that price with the features that you want uh, and maybe offer another 10% discount, would you buy? And most of the time, I'm talking 95% of the time, They'll start telling you what the real issue is. It's a delivery time that you offered. Uh, it's that you're missing a benefit that they need, but they never mention. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds weird, but buyers do not always tell you what they actually want, particularly corporate buyers. I've never understood why that is, but I know it's true. So you got to drill down, ask questions, keep asking questions, find out exactly what they want. And, you know, let's say you're selling something that is classically painted red. The buyer uh, wants it blue, but never mentions it. So he said, well, okay, they only have it red. I can't buy it. When in reality, uh, and the quantities that they're going to order, it's no problem painting a blue. Sure. But you have to ask questions. Price is rarely the actual determining factor. I, I don't care if you're buying a new roof on your house. Three contractors come in and quote, do you go with the lowest price guy? I personally don't. And when I'm selling, that's not what I see. They're looking for quality, they're looking for delivery. Uh, if everything's the same, all the features and benefits are identical, then yes, price will come into effect. Sure. But sure. otherwise, all these other things make a difference. And, and, and a lot of time to that point, uh, when someone is shopping with you or, or shopping uh, and you're a part of that process, um, the price, it, to your point, it isn't the first thing on their mind. It's a factor. But to your point, they're, they're at, okay, does this guy, have, does this company, organization, or salesman have the experience? Uh, are they bringing the confidence that I want in this service? And sometimes the, even the lowest uh, priced person may, may be represented 
as the lowest price, right? They, and the person that's presented to them is stumbling and they're on their eye and they don't, they're just not carrying themselves with the confidence that the organization has, the confidence of the product. So that alone could be having an impact. So asking those questions and, and, you know, and building on that could, could peel back that onion. I know a lot of times when I'm, um, I'll call it a pitch just for just to give it a name when I'm on a call, a pitch call, for example, to a potential client. Um, I'll have the I'll be asking questions to get their response. Generally, I know the answer. And that's always a good angle to come from. I know what the answer to the question is, but I want them to be able to. Uh, acknowledge the answer and help build the value inside their head. So I'm not telling them, you know, this particular thing right here, yeah, it's worth 500 bucks. But if you present it to them, say, do you, if you had to go out and get this, how much do you think you would spend doing this yourself? And then if they say, yeah, probably three to $600. You, that's about right. You know, it's usually averages about 500, but now they've said that to themselves. So now as they're going, as you're, they're going through and you're asking those questions, you're not instilling those answers in them. They're giving them to you and it's reaffirming something they already know. Uh, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you have far more years of real salesman experience than I do. I was, I was usually in the, the, the marketing guy that the sales guy was going, dude, what you put out there? Yeah, not so hot. Here's what I need. But what we tried to do, and I still try to do today, is be that yin and yang uh, of the sales and marketing engine, right? Because the sales engine, and this is, I think, applies to all sizes of companies, the big corporates, all the way down to the one and two man show. If they're bucking each other, right? You know, if the sales message doesn't equal the, the marketing message, then it, that, that cohesiveness falls apart and the customer's going, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. That is absolutely true. Uh, in two of my books, I talk about how that brand image and that messaging has to be identical. And if sales and marketing are not uh, reiterating and on the same page and understand what is being said, then the buyer is just going, I don't know who these people are, but I'm going with the other guy or the other lady. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's perfect. Okay. So I want to, I want to tap your uh, wealth of knowledge here for a moment for all my dark horse entrepreneurs that are listening in. So when it comes to sales and marketing and you can pick either, or you could do a, a tip for each, but if you could give one tip to them uh, that they could walk away with and say, all right, that was worth listening to, what would that be from you? I would say I would lean it on the sales side and I would say always ask for the order. You would be surprised how many people don't, particularly if they're not uh, trained in sales or not aware of things they should do. Uh, they have to ask for the order. And for the entrepreneur, it doesn't matter what it is they're asking for. Maybe they're looking for seed capital. Um, they have to ask for it. You don't make a presentation and walk out. You ask for it. If you're selling something, you ask for the order before you leave. Uh, the other thing that I would mention on the sales side, if the person buying 
says, okay, this is a deal, I'll take it. The salesperson has to learn to shut up. Don't say anything else. Don't add anything. You've already got the order. And if you keep talking, you might say something that you could lose the order. So those are the kind of two tips on the sales side. On the marketing side, I would say be creative. And I don't mean come up with the most exciting ad anyone's ever heard of. I'm saying you have a need. Maybe it's market research. Uh, maybe it's finding a way to go into a new market. You have to be creative because you're an entrepreneur. You are probably a smaller business. You may be going up against much better funded competition. You need to find that creative way to accomplish your goal. Never stop being creative. I like that. Two very good tips there. Um, so on your three books, I want to give folks just a, a quick insight into those so they can go check those out. Um, so if you could just give us, uh, you know, the, the quick blurb on each one it's about. So if someone is interested in one of those topics, they can go out and go after it. Okay, the uh, uh, sales and marketing battle, uh, that is how the two uh, groups should work together, need to work together, and how they should work together. The second book is Amazing Salespeople. They are made, not born. Uh, this is literally sales tips to help people that are in sales. There is a chapter on what you need to get into management, but not everybody wants that. There are options if you want to stay in sales and continue succeeding. And my last book on marketing, uh, The uh, Magic of Marketing, this is the different ways you can marketing. Everything from print, which is obviously going away, through digital and micro-targeting. These are all things that everyone should understand and be aware of. And then also understand marketing media are virtually always negotiable. That sounds kind of weird and you think, oh, that's a price sheet, that's a rate card. It's not usually true. It doesn't mean they're gonna go, I'll give it to you for a half price, but it does mean if you buy this, will throw in something else for free. So that's kind of what the three books are about. And it is my hope that entrepreneurs uh, can learn some of the things that I've used for my success and build on that. I'm not the be and end all. I am one person with a series of ideas that have worked. And when each entrepreneur implements the things that they find important, they will find themselves building on the things that they have done and their successes. I, I, can't, I cannot do anything but agree with you there. I think one of, the, uh, one of the coolest things, and I was able to learn this early on, and I'm talking about back in my early teens, and it came from a non-business book of all things. Uh, it was a book by, okay, don't laugh, Bruce Lee. So it was actually called the Tao Jikundo, right? And it was a, it was a book he wrote that kind of outlined his, 
his thoughts and practices and philosophies around martial arts. And one of the things that uh, he put in there, and it, it stuck with me, was absorb what's useful and discard the rest. And, I'm like, and that lesson has followed me throughout my entire career. And, and everything that I find is useful, I try to absorb. So in the example of uh, your books, and I've, like I said, I'm about halfway through the first one, I've already grabbed a handful of tips. And I see the importance of the other ones but I'm not ready for those yet, right? So again, just come back to, like you were saying, and I'm gonna put it in my words, absorb what's useful for you today and then discard the rest. And then later on, come back to it, recheck it again. You may find new, new useful tips that you couldn't use back when you first read it or listened to it or took the class or whatever, but now you're ready for it, so now you can absorb what's now useful that wasn't before. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, in my uh, third book on marketing, I actually say that. I say, okay, here's a list of different media. Some may not be applicable to you right now, but learn about them, understand them, because someday you may need them. Someday you may go, yeah, I I really need to do micro-targeting. And so I'm 100% in agreement with you there. different use of words, a uh, different method perhaps to get to the end, but you and I are saying exactly the same thing. I like it when two great minds come together. (laughs) 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 All right, Kent, so I want to be mindful of your time, and I appreciate the time you've been able to spend here. Uh, If folks want to learn more about Kent Jarnigan, or Jarnig, right? (laughs) J-A-R-N-I-G. Kent yes. Jarnig, everybody. Uh, if they want to learn more about your body of work, where can they go to find out more about you? Okay, go to Amazon Kindle. Uh, I'm on, yeah, excuse me, I have ebooks. Uh, if you want to download those, uh, we have uh, the book in paperback, and I have uh, the first book uh, as an audio book. Uh, the second book is in production. And the third book will also have an audio version. So there's three different ways. Uh, the costs are very reasonable. Uh, and hopefully, I've got ideas that will help people. That was my purpose. Absolutely. And I'll be sure to put links. Uh, I know I found you on Audible uh, for, I believe it was the Sales and Marketing Battle. And uh, we'll put that in the show notes for you there. And later on, as these other ones become available, if you'll uh, send those to me, uh, I can add them on later on so that we keep updated. Sound good? That sounds perfect, Tracy. I thank you so much for your time. You have a wonderful day and thanks to your audience. All right. Thank you so much, Ken. All right. So that's Kent Jarnick sharing some knowledge bombs with us. Here's some thoughts I walked away with. Thought number one, Failure is a part of being an entrepreneur. Heck, I think failure is a part of life. We all have to overcome hundreds, perhaps even thousands of trips, stumbles, face plants, and obstacles to see what we might even begin to consider a success. So many times we look at someone successful and think, wow, he or she is an overnight success. But really, If you peek behind the curtain, you're going to find out that they have been grinding away and failing for years to become that overnight success. So learn, test, and keep grinding. Thought number two, 
Kent found himself unable to do many of the things that he was doing previously due to the current nationwide, heck, even the worldwide impact of the coronavirus pandemic. But rather than sit in his office and boo-hoo and thinking, whoa, it's me, he looked at what he did have to offer uh, in the way of an interesting life, his skill set and his experiences, and chose to exper- uh, to share those experiences with those that he thought could benefit from that knowledge. Now, I know I've asked this question of you before, but I think it bears asking again. What interesting facts, stories, or skill sets can you share with other folks, right? Everyone out there wants to learn. Now, you don't necessarily have to sit down and, and, and do like Kent did and write three books about them, but you could do, I don't know, you could, you know, you could create an ebook or an online course or maybe a video series. Whatever medium resonates with you the most, you could transfer your unique knowledge or your unique angle on common knowledge or whatever your teachings are into that medium and offer it to the marketplace. It gets so much easier nowadays, and the tools are, there's just a plethora of them out there. And I assure you that you have something that someone wants or needs to learn. Thought number three. On the topic of sales and marketing, Kent gave a great example of how big corporations, um, in big corporations, excuse me, the two can be very disconnected. Having spent decades in the medium and large size companies of corporate America, I know firsthand that can be so very true. So what can us smaller entrepreneurs glean from this lesson? Well, I think the first question you'd have to ask is, uh, uh, do your sales and marketing pillars align, right? Are the things you're doing over here on the sales side and the things you're doing over on the marketing side, are they are they enmeshed with each other, right? Do they feather together, really feather together uh, very well? I mean, because if your prospect is going through your marketing to get warmed up and to become a lead, and what content and messages are they hearing as they go through that, right? Now, once you turn them into the lead and they begin the sales process, I mean, they've raised their hand via, you know, maybe uh, they sent you an email or they signed up or they said, oh, pick me, right? Whatever medium you've set up for them to raise that hand, now they start going through the sales process. As they're going through that sales process, are they receiving the same messages? Because if they're not, that could be a cause of your low conversion rate. I mean, because if they're hearing one message on the marketing side to get them interested, they should be hearing that same aligned message during the sales phase. Otherwise, they might be feeling like they've been hooked on a bait and switch, right? I wanted to say that right. I don't want to sound bad, but that's kind of what it is. If they're going through one message in the marketing, all of a sudden the message completely changes on them in the sales, right? They might feel like there's a bait and switch happening and that could leave a bad taste in his mouth. And even if it's not intentional, right? And at the end of the day, that's just going to lower your bottom line for your business. So make sure that your left hand and your right hand are shaking appropriately or talking to each other. And while those two hands are talking to each other, make sure that they are engaged in the marketing. Keep getting engaged in the marketing. What I mean by that is make sure that you keep getting input from your consumers uh, and make sure that your perception of that consumer is correct. Here's Here's a great example. 
Right. Uh, a friend of mine, Jake, just launched uh, his podcast just last week at the time of this recording. It was just a few days ago and did a u- very unique uh, launch phase. And one of the th- things he did on the day of the launch is he got a lot of the folks that had engaged with him in the marketing phase of the launch to come on to a Zoom uh, call together. And, you know, there were some questions, there was some dialogue that was going on, but he started getting input from these are potentially his perfect clients. Those are the folks he wants to have listening to his podcast, to enter into his business, uh, the people he wanted to serve. So he began, you know, engaging with them, asking questions and getting feedback. He walked away from that entire launch phase with lots of data and came away with a brand new product idea, a product idea he hadn't even thought of at the start of this um, launch phase. So it, Keep engaging your consumer base and ask the questions and make sure the, your, the answers you think are right. So make sure you keep asking the right questions, as Kent reminded us. And thought number four, price is not always the reason the consumer buys. Right. This comes back to the previous point I just kind of hammered home in asking the right questions, because sometimes your perception of your prospect or your consumer uh, or your customer is off. It may be off slightly or it may be off completely, like 180 degrees off. But the point here is you'll never know if you don't ask the questions that you think you already know the answers to. So make sure that you keep engaging with your prospect in a way that educates you to their needs so that you can in turn educate them on your ability to serve those needs and present that with confidence, right? Uh, that comes to that whole salespeople, right? The last and most certainly most important thing is to ask for the sale. And when you get it, shut up, right? <laughs> so with that, I, I asked to ask you, what caught your ear? Right? What, what ideas, what nuggets did you glean from this? Whatever they were, take some time today and put them into action. Go out there and run your race. Get your results and let me hear about your, those results. Email me at tracy at darkhorseschooling.com and share those things that caught your ear, how you put them in action and what results you gained from them. We're building a prize pool, like I've mentioned from past guests. And if you email me and I read it on the show, you win. So our next episode's guest, uh, Kelly Howard, is going to share with how she went from selling lemonade on the corner to running a company where she says her work is often her play and how a tiger with wing fits into all of this. With that, I'm going to leave you as I always do. Think successfully and take action. Thank you for listening to the Dark Horse Entrepreneur Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out at www.darkhorseschooling.com. All right. My name is Tracy Brinkman.